the words of Torah with Marcus and Rachel, Rabbis Reuben Steve. Yeah. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Their Rabbis and They're Married. Hello, hello. It is nice to be with you again. Today, you just have us, believe it or not. Just the lonely old rabbis here. Throwback episode here. Throwback. <laughs> now, we want to keep it alive. We don't want to always have special guests all the time. Otherwise, they're not really special. You always have special guests. So we're always going to return sometimes to have just the two of us back with you again. The OGs. The OG. The OG Rubensteins here with you right now. I feel like we're going into like a 90s hip hop song right now. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> It is nice to be back with you. We've really had some important speakers lately, and we figured we'd, we'd kind of reset, kind of reset the conversation here, reset where we're at, and kind of recenter ourselves. And the way we as Jews do that, the way we as we, we, we recenter ourselves is, of course, with Torah, by learning Torah. Actually, Torah helps us to get close to our values and remember what we stand for. So sometimes learning a fresh piece of Torah really helps us to do that. And that's what we're going to do today. We're going to learn a fresh piece of Torah. And this is hopefully going to be a new segment for our podcast where one of us present each other with a surprise piece of Torah. And we're going to learn it in front of you today and see what kind of meaning we can find. And today I'm presenting Rabbi Rachel with a piece of Torah. And I'm really excited to see what she thinks of it. She might have read it before, but she's never... Just know which text I'm bringing today. Let me surprise. Can we pause for a second and explain how you're using the word Torah? I think some people, when they when they hear the word Torah, they think they we mean like we're opening up a Torah scroll and we're reading something from the Bible or from the five books of Moses, which is one that certainly we we mean that when we say Torah also. But when we say Torah colloquially, we mean it much more broad than that. So when we say Torah, we mean like all of Jewish wisdom. So that could be a text from the Talmud. It could be a text from the rabbinic codes. It could be a text from the Midrash, like all of that we call Torah. Yeah, that, and that's a really important understanding that a lot of people uh, make a mistake with. So yeah, we're definitely not learning just the five books of Moses today. Actually, we're going to learn a piece from the Talmud today, which is really exciting. But before we jump into that text, and by the way, we are looking for a very nice name for this segment when the best I can come up with surprise text or surprise Torah. So we're not going to use that. So if you have a name for this segment, you could be famous by giving us that name and then we'll use it and we'll thank you. So there you go. So if you have a name, let us know. Email us. Okay. So how are you doing before we jump in? How are you doing with everything? What's going on? I'm doing pretty well. It's uh, We're recording this. Probably we'll release it in quite a few weeks, so it'll be way past this when we release it. But uh, we're recording it right in the middle of Hanukkah. And so uh, we've had a very nice Hanukkah so far. We've celebrated a Hanukkah party with our young professional group at Temple of Aaron, which was really fun that we did bar trivia, which I'm normally horrible at. But Cantor Josh, who was asking the questions, he did a whole round on Hanukkah questions. And thankfully, I did not embarrass myself and was able to answer his Judaism 101 Hanukkah questions. Are you still lit up right now that you're like, you like won I the never, trivia competition? I never know. I actually knew a second question that wasn't in that section. There was a section on like Jewish pop culture, which normally I would be horrible at. But he asked a question. It was something along the lines of 
This singer from a New York coffee house joined Taylor Swift on stage at a recent concert. Mm. And I knew the answer. What was the answer? Phoebe Buffay. Lisa Kudrow came on and character as Phoebe Buffay, Phoebe Buffay from Friends. And they sang Smelly Cat together on stage at a Taylor Swift concert. Oh, wow. That seems like a must-see experience. Exactly. And I was very proud. So I knew that. And I knew some of the Judaism 101 questions, such as, what Hebrew date does Hanukkah begin? And the hardest question was, when do you light Hanukkah candles? Because I was totally rabbying it and I got totally in my head of like, which halakhic hour do you light Hanukkah candles? And I was getting like very specific. And then the answer was at night. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's such a rabbi problem. <laughs> it really, really is. And I'm guessing you're equally happy about answering the, the Judaism 101 questions versus the Taylor Swift questions, right? Equally. Oh, I'm much more happy that I got the Taylor Swift question. Right? <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Uh, rabbi Rachel is a Taylor Swift fan. She has, you know, there was the dark period of Taylor Swift fans when like people weren't liking her so much. And where Rabbi Rachel can explain, you know, at a later point, the complicated reason why people didn't like Taylor Swift for a while. She liked her the whole entire time. She was even there during the dark period. Thank you for giving me my street cred on. Uh, I'm not a fair weather fan. Major street cred. I'm, I'm very proud of you. I really am. Yeah. Uh, luckily on my team, we had some sports, sports nuts because there were a lot of sports questions and I knew approximately zero. Oh, I actually knew I won. I, I answered one of the sports questions and you would have been so proud of me. I can't believe I forgot to tell you. Do you want to know what the God. question was? She is. I'm surprising her with tour. She's surprising with sports <laughs> trivia. What's better than this? It this was um, Minnesota sports round. And the question was what professional Minnesota sports team plays at the Vikings training, what's it called? TCO? T T Practice facility? Training facility. Training facility, TCO. Yeah. And I knew the answer. Wow. And you, how do you know that answer? Because I have been to many a Minnesota Aurora game with my beloved co-rabbi here. And what is the Minnesota Aurora? The very best, although zero championships, but very best women's second division soccer team in the United States. Wow. I would say third division, so are they third technically division? almost right. It's okay. What's we're the Minneapolis? Like uh, what's the Minneapolis team? Because they're really bad. <laughs> I thought oh, they were third division. <laughs> they're terrible. They're te the Crows. Minneapolis <laughs> City SC man is. Uh, All right, we're we're getting a little off the, off the well, deep end. Soccer is never off the topic. Okay. I but I got, but I just wanted to revel for a minute in all of my successful trivia questions because I don't, I don't very often answer successful trivia questions. So. Just on the record, I'm very proud of you. Thank you. I'm Appreciate very, very that. proud of you. I've been proud of you of many things, but this is this is the top. So. Our team, our team got in second. Wow, second. Second. We oh. were we were in first place after the Jewish round, and then the pop culture round kind of tanked us. Oh man, Ugh, that must have hurt really badly after your successes in the beginning. Got your hopes, but I up. felt but I felt like I contributed to the team, which I very rarely feel. So. Now we're having bingo at an event tonight. Are you excited about bingo? I feel like bingo would be like very much your thing. I am. I like games that don't require skill. <laughs> such <laughs> <as bingo. laughs> I like mindless games. <laughs> yes. No, I do. Uh, I'm very excited for bingo and very excited. In addition to the um, Temple of Aaron Hanukkah party we have tonight, we also have our daughter's JCC Hanukkah concert, Ooh. which um, is 
put on by the St. Paul JCC led by Tracy Agernoff and Wendy Baldinger, who have been doing it together for decades. Wendy has been doing it for, I think, 40, over 40 years. I think last year might've been her 40th year. Um, And uh, our daughter has been practicing the songs all week. Oh boy, has she been practicing? It is the cutest. And the songs I don't think have changed very much because when I told our office administrator that Hattie was practicing the songs, she immediately started singing the same songs that her daughter had done at her JCC Hanukkah concert uh, 25 years ago. From so generation that's pretty good. This is this is the the must see concert opportunity. I mean, if you want to get a seat to this, how early do you have to get there? I know you have to. The doors open like a half hour in advance, but I'm a little scared that people are going to sneak in before the doors officially open, and we're gonna. Right. It's it's a tough it's a tough one. It's it's a tough one, and it's very scary. You got to get the right seats because if you don't get the right seats, one not only very uncomfortable the whole time you have to stand, but then your kid doesn't see you, and then like it's like basically that was the point of being there if your kid didn't see you. So like you have to like. My Hadassah has like a one row view that she can only see past the first row, basically. So. Right, because they turn the lights off, so they can only see in the first row. Last year, our daughter, who was very excited, was singing all the songs leading up to it for like weeks and knew every word, got on stage and stood there completely silently, staring blankly ahead. And then when I went to pick her up in her classroom afterwards, she comes running over to me and she goes, mommy, mommy, didn't I sing so loud? (laughs) (laughs) We have it on video evidence. That wasn't the case. I loved. So I'm very excited to see how she does. how she does tonight. I'm sure whatever she does will be very cute. I'm sure it will be. I'm sure it will be. And she really has been putting on some splendid performances. It's going to be great. Wonderful holiday season. Let's get into some Torah though. I mean, now that we've, so we've covered all, all the, the important, <laughs> important topics of bar topics. trivia and our daughter. Let's go. Let's jump in. So I just, I found this text. I was, I was teaching actually, uh, I teach a, an Ein Yaakov, a Legends of the Talmud class every two weeks. And we kind of just keep learning an English translation of the, the collection of legends of the Talmud called Ein Yaakov. And we kind of just learn it in order. And I'm, I'm surprised by myself when I get to it. And I learned this text with a group of, of congruents. And I was just like, I had I must have read it before because I've learned all of this this tractate of Talmud before, but I was just so enamored by it, and it was like the perfect conversation to be thinking about in this period of time. So I wanted to bring it to you today, Rabbi Rachel, um, to see what you think of it because you're really wise, and I think hopefully in our discussions we can kind of figure out what is going on in the Talmud here. And so today we're going to learn a sugya from Brachot Seven B, seventh page of. The tract, the first one of the first tractates on the first tractate in the Talmud called Brachot, or the tractate on blessings and prayers. And the Talmud, if you've never learned Talmud before, Talmud really presents ideas and concepts through a a recorded conversation. And basically, when when you learn Talmud, you're actually learning the notes of a conversation between multiple rabbis expressing multiple different opinions, and the argument and the idea moves. Throughout the conversation, just like a normal conversation, you usually start in one place and you end in another. So what the Talmud might be saying in the beginning of the conversation is not this might not be the same that's going on in the end. So just so you know, you got to kind of just follow the conversation and see what the rabbis are saying at this moment in the conversation. Make sense? Good. So let's jump in. Okay, great. Yeah. Who's reading? I think you have to read. The person who is surprised reads first. That is the rules. All right. Let's see. And Rabbi Yochanan said in the name of Rabbi Shimon ben Yochai, 
One is permitted to provoke the wicked of this world. Mutar lehit garot bereshaim ba'olam hazeh. One is permitted to provoke the wicked in this world. That's like, that's a big statement. We need to unpack that. Yeah, like what what is Rabbi Yochanan in the name of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai saying? Well, he brings in a proof text. Let's, oh, let's God, jump into it. the proof text. That's the proof text first. Thank you, Rabbi As Rachel. it is stated. As it is stated. From Proverbs. Those who abandon the Torah will praise wickedness, and the keepers of the Torah will fight them. Again, this quote from Proverbs, those who abandon the Torah will praise wickedness, and the keepers of the Torah will fight them. The word they use for fight is the same word, yitgaru. So the, the word for provoke that they used earlier, lehitgarot, is the same word that the Torah uses in Proverbs, Shomrei Torah Yitgarubam. The keepers of the Torah will provoke them or will fight them. That's awesome. I didn't realize that. I didn't realize the word is exactly the same that they're using. I assume that's how he found this proof text. Ooh, that was really good. Thank you, Rabbi (laughs) Rachel. Always teaching me something new. There we go. We didn't realize that. So what's going on here? What is that? What is what do you what do you think that this opening statement means? What does the verse mean? And how do they work together? Well, it's interesting because at first when I read it, that one is permitted to provoke the wicked in this world, I kind of thought it meant like you're, you shouldn't kind of hide, hide your righteousness or, or hide your identity because you think that it will cause other people to hate you. Right. I guess maybe that's that's on my mind because of the state of the world. You know, like I was just having a conversation with a, a congregant who told me she's stopped wearing her Jewish star necklace out because she just doesn't want to like provoke the anti-Semites. Right. She's kind of hiding. She's changing. So at first, one is permitted to provoke the wicked. I kind of thought is, no, oh, OK, it's you're not you're not responsible for other people's behavior. You wear your Jewish star proudly. If that causes other people to misbehave, like that's on them, not on you. But then it's actually a little stronger in the proof text. Then they translated it as fight them, you know, that you're the keepers of the Torah will fight the wicked. So then you're thinking maybe it's not just provoke like with my behavior. Like I'm actually allowed to try and fight, you know, I'm trying, I really can kind of get in their face and, and try and root out some of this wickedness. So I'm not right. sure. I mean, that, that is the way they translate the verse, right? To fight. And you, as you pointed out, that it's the same word. That's literally, it's literally the same verb, same word used in Rabbi Yochanan and Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai's statement. So I don't know if it necessarily needs, needs to mean like outwardly fight. It's funny. Cause for, for me, for, yes, I read the the first statement exactly like you did. Like it is permitted to make people upset. Make if there are evil people out there, or there are people who are anti-Semitic or whatever it is, then you could, you know, do what's going to annoy them. Don't worry about annoying the evil people or upsetting them, right? And it's it's specifically the verse itself that ter- ties it actually back to Judaism, right? It's, it's specifically the keeper of the Torah. And interestingly enough, like what is what is annoying or making the evil people upset? It is specifically Shomrei Torah, right? It's specifically doing the Torah, right? It's interesting. It reminds me a lot of the debates that we used to have when we lived in New York. When we lived in New York, we lived near a Hasidic enclave. We lived near this town where a lot of ultra-Orthodox Satmar Jews, very insular Jews lived. And we had a lot of conversations about like, does their behavior, their 
refusal to assimilate in any way into America. They refuse to speak English. They refuse to wear American clothing. They refuse to have American jobs. Like they, you know, they really like, they can, they keep super insular, super connected to, to Torah. And like, we would have debates of does that, is that okay? Is it okay to live in America? And like, it is provocative. It's provocative to be an insular group in a, in America and refuse to assimilate in any way or refuse to kind of take on the majority values in any way. And is, is that okay? Is that okay for them to, to live that way? Or should they try to accommodate uh, more of American society in order to kind of like make peace and not, you know, not provoke the wickedness. We used to have this conversation quite a bit, actually. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I'm usually fall on the side here of like, you kind of have to blend in a little bit. You, you have to be part of the larger society and against sort of this like complete freedom to do whatever you want to do. Which is not what the text is saying. Right. Which is not, <laughs> which, which, which is certainly not what the text is saying, but I, I think I would look at it differently than you would, because I think in the case of Satmar, in the case of, of, of ultra Orthodox, like they're doing something that, this, that the Torah doesn't specifically obligate you to. It, it is for them. It's going above and beyond, right? Their understanding of the Torah is, is is really beyond what the Torah obligates one to. I mean, I guess they would disagree with my statement. Right, I think but, they would disagree with you, right. and they would say, "Yeah, but look at our kids versus your kids. Like our kids aren't the ones that are marrying. Our kids aren't the ones, you know, leaving Judaism. Our kids aren't the one putting up Christmas trees. You know, like where are whatever we're doing is working to keep our kids connected to Judaism." So yeah, it's just an interesting, a very interesting question. It's not how it's not how we live. Like we live very integrated into society, and I think we do try to. You know, like this idea of provoking the wicked, it was a big question for us. Like, do we put a we stand with Israel sign outside of our house after October 7th? And like this question of like safety and do we want to like we certainly weren't going to take our mezuzah off the door. We certainly weren't going to hide our Hanukkah. But like, is it is it provoking to put an I stand with Israel sign like an overtly political sign? on our, you know, like what, what are the different values at stake there? And so it's, it's interesting that it says one is permitted to do this, but not one is obligated to do this. Yeah. I was going to ask you about that. Like where, what about this language of permitted obligated? Where does it, what, 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 if it's that you were obligated to annoy wicked people with your Judaism, how is that different than you are permitted to do that? Well, the language of permitted is like the assumption is that it's forbidden, right? Like that the assumption is forbidden, but you're given like an exemption, right? Like you're, you're permitted to do this thing that otherwise would be forbidden, forbidden, right. um, as opposed to like the assumption of this is like by default, a good thing to do or an oblig- obligatory thing to do. So, I mean, I think there's something there. I mean, I think part of it is Judaism really rarely asks you to put yourself in danger. Like Judaism is very much a religion of, and you shall live by them and not die by them. Like you should live by Judaism. You should, you should, it should be life-giving and it should be something that keeps you safe. And so I don't, it's not surprising to me that they wouldn't say you are obligated to provoke the wicked. I mean, especially our rabbis lived in really dangerous times. We think we lived in, we live in dangerous times. Our rabbis lived in like the crusades, dangerous times. And, you know, so it, it, it makes sense to me that, that there would be, if you, if you want to take that on, if you want to take on that kind of like extra, I don't know, courage to do something that might, that might provoke anti-Semitism or provoke danger or provoke wicked, you are permitted to do so, but certainly not obligated. 
Right. And I mean, I just going back to our, pre- I, I definitely buy your interpretation. I think exactly what you're saying is true, that the assumption is that you should not do that thing. That actually, again, like what a religion Judaism is. It's like such a beautiful religion. Like what other religion would say, the assumption is that you should break every tenet of our religion if you're in danger, but you are actually permitted to keep your religion in the face of anti-Semitism, which is like one, just so cool. I love that. that that's the the exemption, really. But I, I just going back to our previous argument about like ultra-orthodoxy and, and what the Samar were doing, like I think that that's why I think the Torah would say, yeah, you gotta fit in. Like you should you should fit in, in in a certain level or a certain respect if it's going to create peace, right? If it's gonna create that there's no horrible thing happens to you, except if it's for the sake of doing Torah. Right. And for that reason, I think for me, yes, in the, in the lens of a Satmar or in the lens of an ultra Orthodox Jew who thinks that this is the command of the Torah, then okay, this it would fit into this rubric. But for me, like that's going above and beyond what the Torah is asking for. And so, like for pious customs or for customs that are beyond the requirement of what the halacha or Jewish law requires of us, it would seem that this would not be, that this would not be the effect, that this is not what one should do. Right. If yeah. I'm just reading this. Yeah, it's an interesting, interesting point. Yeah. This is the first kind of entry in the argument, the first discussion point that, you know, we are permitted to tempt the wicked through our observance of Judaism, which is, which is a very interesting point and something that we're, we're constantly debating. But of course, because we're debating it, guess what? The rabbis debated it too. And it seems that there were rabbis who sort of backed up this idea and like rabbis who didn't back up this idea. First, we're going to hear from a statement that, that sort of does back this up and, and it kind of looks at it from a different perspective. And then we're going to look at a rabbi that, does, that in this conversation that does not back this statement. up. So let's look at our next part of our statement. Do you want to continue reading? Sure. So this statement is also taught in a baraita. You want to pause and explain what a baraita is? I will explain what a baraita is. Thank <laughs> you very much. So there is different kinds of material within the Talmud and coming from different ages, really. And age is really important of a text in Judaism because the older a text is, usually the more authoritative it is. That's the idea of a tradition, right? The older a text is, the more authoritative it is in in the say of what the halacha is or what the law is. So it's just a pause. I mean, how different is that than like our society today? I feel like our society today is like, oh, that was written five years ago. Like we have to, you know, pick up whatever the trendy, you know, thing in pop culture, the like pop sciences and social sciences, like whatever is newer is better and anything more than like 10 years old is way outdated. So oh my God. Just a, it's just such an indif- a no. different perspective Don't on sorry, like every time, text every, and wisdom. Every time someone says like to me, like, oh, boomer, like, oh, they're making a boomer mistake. Like, it's like literally the most, I get so irritated by that. I get so irritated by that. I mean, it is fun to make fun of our parents on Facebook, but it, other than that. It's in general fun to make fun <laughs> of other people, but that means we don't do it. It's insulting. <laughs> and and again, it's like not respecting the wisdom. So yeah. So anyway, we're going off a we're going off a a, a a lane here. But yes, the Judaism definitely believes in the respect of tradition. And specifically, when it comes to text, there are older texts, specifically stemming from the period of zero to two hundred CE. They're either called uh, Mishnah, Baraita, or Tosefta, things like that. That are all from this earlier period called Tanaitic material from zero to two hundred CE. So these are this is the most authoritative material in. The Talmud, besides maybe a biblical verse itself, and then there's later material in the Gemara and the Talmud called uh, that that is written between or was at least uh, recorded between 200 and 500 CE, and that's called Amoraic material, and that is later material that's still really important, but is less canonical and authoritative than the earlier 
rabbis. It's usually stuff that's responding to these earlier sources. So right, our text that, says that, that new modern stuff from you know 500 C. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and that's what they're really doing here. They're really saying, well, this statement, this this later statement that was that was given is actually found in an earlier text. Like it's it's found in an earlier tradition, which means basically it's authoritative, right? That we actually find this as part of the oral tradition of Judaism and Torah. So that this statement was also taught in a Brita, meaning a Brita means one of these it actually means external, external to the collection of them called the, the the Mishnah, right? And it's just more Tanaitic material, more of this older material that has been recorded and remembered. Okay. So this statement is also taught in this older material in a Brita. As Rabbi Dostai, son of Rabbi Matun, says, one is permitted to provoke the wicked in this world. As it is stated, those who abandon the Torah will praise wickedness, and the keepers of the Torah will fight them. So our exact teaching. Right. So basically, this is an authoritative teaching. Like, don't worry, we found this somewhere else. And so, yeah, this is something we really got to deal with because it's a real oral teaching that's been passed on from generation to generation. But this time the text continues. Yes. And if someone whispered to you saying, on the contrary, isn't it also written in the Psalms, do not compete with evildoers and do not envy the unjust? So they're bringing in a, a challenge here. So they're saying, okay, fine. You have this Brita that says, brings in this verse from Proverbs saying, those who abandon the Torah will praise wickedness and the keepers of the Torah will fight them. Fine. It's all nice and good that Proverbs says that. But we have this other text in Psalms that says, do not compete with evildoers and do not envy the unjust. Meaning, seemingly, like, don't bother, you know, stay away, keep quiet. Don't try and don't try and provoke them. Right. So this is, I, yeah, I think this is really important and, it, and it's an important point. I, how would you understand, like, how would you understand the inner logic of this verse from Psalms? Like what is, what is, what is the value at hand here? What is the value it's holding up? I mean, I think it, there is certainly a good value of saying like, don't get distracted with like, yeah, there's a lot of nonsense in the world. There's a lot of evil in the world. There's a lot of hate in the world. And like, you can spend your whole life like riling yourself up to like fight all, you know? And I feel, I feel like we really feel this today, oh right? Like yeah. we could spend all day Insane. like riling ourselves up with all of the anti-Semitic nonsense we see on social media and on college campuses and being reported everywhere from the left, from the right. Like we could just go, we could just, that could be our whole lives is riling ourselves up. But then, like, are we really living Judaism? Like, there's this other value of block out all that noise. Don't pay any attention to it. Like, God will, God willing, deal with them in the end. Like, just focus on, like, being the best person you can be, living your Judaism, living according to your values, raising your family. Like, focus on yourself and your community and, and building the best world you can, almost in, like, a little bubble and, and just, like, Block out the rest. I totally get that impulse. Right, right. Beautiful. Yeah, no, it's it's something that is keeping me alive today. <laughs> Otherwise, I'd just be on Twitter all the time just yelling at people. So it's 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 100%. Yeah, I 100% feel that today. I, I, I would say like here just to like look. They're going to try to solve the conflict between these two these two teachings here. But but just to, to sort of point it out, just in looking at the verse themselves, right? Remember that for Rabbi Yochanan, in the name of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, who said it's permitted to it's permitted to provoke the wicked in this world, right? Specifically, used it, a verse that said the way we're provoking the wicked is by guarding the Torah, is by just doing the Torah, right? By observing the Torah, right? By being me, right? By living out my identity as a Jew, other people are going to be annoyed by that and frustrated by that, and that might put me in danger. 
But I'm not like stepping out. I'm not like trying to provoke anybody. I'm not trying to compete with anybody. I'm not, I'm just doing Judaism. I'm rapping to Philan and this guy's getting annoyed at me, right? Not doing anything to them. This, and, and so in that case, the Talmud seems to be saying, or Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai seems, in the, Rabbi Yochai, in the name of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai seems to be saying, yes, you are permitted to do that. But at least just in my first take, like the Psalm seems to be saying, no, it's, if you look at the words that's being used here, right, do not compete with evildoers, right? Don't compete with evildoers, right? Meaning, don't let your orientation be the evildoer, right? So what it, what it means to compete means this guy is doing X. I mean, let, let's, this guy's selling 100 burgers, so I have to sell 120 burgers, right? It's as simple as that. And so my whole entire goal and outlook is dependent on the other person who I'm competing with. And if that's a bad person, and then, then literally my whole entire outlook is dependent on reacting to the evildoer and trying to beat them and, and best them. It's funny. That's like so my, I feel like I am so dry and that's not there. This is like, clearly they're setting it up, right? They're, they preface this by saying, if someone whispers this to you, and so they're about to say, then say this to them, right? Yeah. So clearly they're not going to take this viewpoint, but I'm drawn to this viewpoint. I mean, as we said, it's Hanukkah right now. And I, you know, I, this is totally how I feel not to say, God forbid that like people who put up Christmas trees are evil doers, but just saying that people who put up Christmas trees are not, you know, doing something Jewish. And there's this impulse among some Jews of like, oh, if they put up a Christmas tree in like a public setting, we have to put up an equal sized Hanukkah up to like <laughs> yeah. compete with it. And I like get it. I get why that's like motivating to people, but it's not motivating to me. Like I'm very happy to like have my Hanukkah in my house and in my synagogue and like live my Judaism, like without being distracted by what's going on around me. So even though I, I can sense by how they set up this text that they're not going to hold on to it very long, I'm drawn to it. I like this text from Psalms. Yeah. And like, I think it's important. I think it's important to like, say like they are going to hold on to this text. This is, this is, this is an important text. It's here and it's real. And, and that verse from Psalms is here. That's an important perspective. It, it's just trying to make the two both work, right? The Psalms perspective is still a perspective that's important. Um, so I, I think that's like really important. I, I think you would agree then with the difference that I made, right? There, there, that we shouldn't go out and try to best our enemies and set our intentions to trying to do better than our enemies. And that should be our intention, but rather our intention should be, I'm going to do my Judaism and the evildoers are going to do whatever they want to do. Right. But they're not going to stop me from just doing my normal Judaism. Sure. Yeah. I'm not hiding my Hanukkah. I'm not like putting it, you know, closing the blinds because I don't want to like provoke anyone who sees my Hanukkah in my house. For sure. Even though it might. Exactly. Absolutely. Okay, fine. Yeah. No. So I I think I think that's good. But let's see the way the Gemara. Let's see the way the Gemara deals with it, because the Talmud's going to try to resolve. Resolve this, obviously. So. All right. So to remind us where we are. So there's this Brita that says one is permitted to provoke the wicked in the world. And if someone tries to come and whisper to you, but what about this verse in Psalms that says, do not compete with evildoers? Then you should say to them, only one whose heart strikes him with pangs of conscience over sins that he committed says this. And Morlo, me shalibo nokfo omerken. The only person who would bring up this quote from Psalms is one whose heart strikes him. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, that's the 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 Hebrew is so is so beautiful here. It really is. The the heart the, the heart strikes him. How do you read that? Like what's going on there? 
I, I'm not sure what that, I, I, I'm a little, I need to pause for a second there. As the rabbi say, don't be afraid to say, I don't know. Yeah. I need to pause for a second. So the only one who would say, do not compete with evildoers and do not envy the unjust is one whose heart strikes him with pangs of conscience over sins that he committed. So are they saying that the only reason you would like back off of this idea of provoking the wicked is because you feel guilty? You feel guilty that you didn't, you like either hid your Judaism or you changed your behavior. You did some sort of, you did something not, not quite kosher because you were scared to provoke the wicked? Yeah, so I think you're relating it back to provoking the wicked in a way that I didn't read it, but you certainly could be right here. I think for me, the way I read this was that like, if you have done something in the past that you have not done tshuva over, and that you know, in a traditional Jewish theology, you would be afraid that God would be punishing you for, or that something bad might happen to you because you've done, let's say, um, I don't know, I don't know if I'd necessarily buy this theology, but you ate a ham sandwich four days ago and you ate something non-kosher and you haven't apologized for it. You haven't done tshuva for it. And then, you know, basically you're kind of a sitting duck. You're waiting for something bad to happen to you because, you know, you've done something wrong. So what the text is then saying to you is that that person should not put themselves in dangerous situations, right? Because then there's a greater chance that something bad's going to happen to them because, well, God needs to punish them because they've done something wrong, right? Now, I don't necessarily know if I, I personally agree with every facet of that theology personally, but I think that is a rabbinic theology, right? That, that like a person who does bad things is in more danger, right? And then God will sort of find a way to get him in the end. Right, which is, you know, again, it's theology I don't necessarily love, but I think that's what they're probably saying here is that there's something like, yeah. So I, I think that in like the most simple of simple senses, I think that's what the Gemara is. Interesting. How do you read that? Do you, do you like that? Is that work for you? Is that like? No, I mean, that's so far from my theology. <laughs> <laughs> it was a Minnesota interesting. <laughs> interesting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm more inclined to kind of like the more psychological approach that I initially. Went All right. With. Let's go back to your initial but, approach. I'm no, sorry. But I, I, buy, I just think we're jumping a bit. Mi- I, I, so. I buy that yours could be the simple meaning of the text. Thank you. Okay. Now that we have the simple meaning of the text, <laughs> let's go on to the psychological meaning of the text or a more meta understanding of the text. And your meta understanding of the text was, can you say that again? Because I don't know if I necessarily understood it 100%. Yeah. So it says, well, the only person who would who would bring up this verse from Psalms, do not compete with evildoers, would be someone who is trying to get out of, like trying to find a way out of the verse from Proverbs that you should fight, you know, that you should, not, that you should are permitted to provoke the wicked in the world by guarding the Torah, right? By guarding the Torah and the people who would be inclined to want to move away from that reading of the text would be people who in the past have not stood up for the Torah, right? Would be the people who have not lived their Judaism loudly, who have kind of head in, like maybe they feel guilty that they took off their Jewish star. They feel guilty that they hid their Hanukkah. They feel guilty that they took off their mezuzah. And so because they feel guilty, they're trying to say, well, like that, that idea that we should like provoke the wicked. That's not, that's not such good Torah. Like, let's look at this other Torah that says we should not, you know, we should not. Is it because they're trying to defend their past behavior of hiding their Judaism? Is that what you're getting at? Exactly. Their heart, oh, their heart okay. strikes them. They're feeling, they're feeling this guilt. Interesting. Over their past so, that, so for you, it's a rationalization. Right. 
And, it, and it's a it's a wrong rationalization. Well, I think uh, that's what the text is because the text obviously is saying we don't like this. We don't we we're, we're not agreeing with the person who's bringing up this verse from Psalms. But let's keep reading and see and see what happens. Yeah, hundred percent. I think for me, like what this what this meant here and and how I felt this is like don't throw stones if you live in glass houses, right? If if you live in a if like and I don't buy the same. I don't buy that God's going to get you at some point because you like didn't do something right. Two weeks ago, God's going to you know make you sick or something. That's not my theology either. But I would just say from a zoomed out perspective, right? Like if, if I'm feeling guilty about my own behavior and I'm, I'm feeling that I have not done something right, I shouldn't go out and do something that's going to that's gonna annoy someone else or going to tell them that they're doing their thing wrong if I think I'm doing my thing wrong. But if I am more sure of myself that I've been working on myself and trying to be the best person I am. I'm trying to be self-reflective and how I can actually make myself a better person. Then I have a right to do something that's going to annoy somebody else. But if I'm not a self-reflective person and I'm not a person who's trying to become a better person and trying to work on myself, right. Then, you know, I have no right to, to go after anybody else. But in reality, isn't always, isn't it always the opposite, right? The people who are like, you know, least self-reflective are the ones who are the most provocative hundred percent as I think the way they're being self-reflective is being provoked by being provocative right that's the way they're just doing it on somebody else yeah and this is exactly I think for me what they're railing against is like I rail I rail about a lot like I care about social justice issues so much but I care in some ways so much more that the person first works on themselves to become a better person and first work on the world right if we all worked on ourselves to become better people, right? Then the world would be a much better place. But if we just work on each other, it doesn't really work that well. And we all just seem to get angry at each other, you know? So for me, that's, 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 that's where this was. All right. So the, so the text is saying, all right, so someone's going to come and tell you this verse from Psalms, do not compete with evildoers and do not envy the unjust. But really that's just someone who's feeling guilty over something they've done in the past. Rather, but they can't, they still have to explain this first from Psalms, right? That is a pretty good proof text against the first text. Exactly. So they say, rather, the true meaning of this verse is when it says, do not compete with evildoers, they mean don't be like the evildoers. And when they say, do not envy the unjust, they mean don't be like the unjust. So Rabbi Rachel, what does this text mean? Well, they're kind of taking out like the whole idea of that it's not about provoking the evildoers. It's not about other people. It's really back to our own behavior. It's saying when it says don't compete with evildoers, it's not talking about don't, you know, put up your giant Hanukkah to compete with the giant Christmas tree. What they're saying <laughs> is don't put up a Christmas tree. Right? Like they're saying, like, just don't be like the evildoers. Don't do the actual wickedness. Don't do the evil. Right, right. I think- and I just want to clarify, I'm using the I'm using this example of Christmas tree. I in no way should shape or form think that putting up a Christmas tree is evil. I, this, uh, we're just, I mean, we're using this idea of like wickedness and evil and all of these things as just kind of stand-ins for non-Jewish behavior. Exactly. So I just want to clarify that very, very, you, very, Rebecca. very clearly. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think like for, for me that here, the text seems to be saying like the problem is when you see evil people actually succeed in this world. Right. And you know, when, when you see someone who constantly does bad things, yet they seem to be successful in this world. And they seem to be successful over and over and again. Like, should you tempt those people? Should you go out and and, and not not tempt them? Should you envy them? Should you say, well, 
what they're doing is working. So like, maybe I should just do what they're doing and I'll also be successful. And the answer of course, for the Torah is no, God forbid, like don't envy the, the don't envy the unjust. They'll get their just due, right? One shall not envy the unjust, right? Do not compete with evildoers. Right? Don't try to be as good as they are, right? Don't try to be like they are. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I mean, I think that, um, you know, again, if we like read evildoers and unjust very, very broadly to just be things that are not according to the Torah, I think we struggle with this a lot. We talk about this a lot that we don't eat out at a lot of restaurants because of how we keep kosher. And we, we do walk around a lot being like, oh man, wouldn't it be nice to just be able to like go out to brunch? <laughs> like, you know, yes. like, wouldn't it just be nice to just like, everyone else seems so happy and they just get to like go out and like have a meal and then they get to come home and not wash any dishes. And like, wouldn't that be nice? You know, like, and so we do kind of walk around sometimes with a little bit of envy of like, man, that seems easier. That seems like a simpler, happier life. And this is kind of reminding us like, no, like don't, you know, don't walk around feeling like envious of the way other people are living, like be strengthened in, in your own Judaism and in your own path. Yeah. I love that. I love that so much. Yeah. I mean, that's just so much a part of our lives and it, it's a constant reminder. Yeah. Cause I, I, I mean, I, I started keeping kosher only about a decade ago and I struggle with it. Yeah. I, I struggle with it and I miss being able to eat out at restaurants and like, just honestly to be able to eat easier. But then at that moment, I'm, it seems like harmless behavior, right? It just seems like harmless because I'm not actually eating non-kosher food. I'm just like talking about how it would be nice if I could, but the Torah seems to be saying, the Talmud here actually seems to be saying, yes, that actually is dangerous behavior because actually it changes your values subtly. Like when you say, oh, I really wish I could do something, even though I know I can't, I really wish I could do it. It actually changes your subconscious and the way that you think about the world, because you start to think about that thing more positively and you're more drawn to it. So it actually changes your values and changes the way you see this world. And I think that's really important. Like you say to yourself, like, I don't know, some really wealthy person who does terrible, terrible things all the time. And you say to yourself, well, I don't want to be terrible like them, but I really want to be wealthy like them, right? I really want to be wealthy, which is not a transgression, right? But it just changes the way of what your goal is and what your insight is. And then all of a sudden you find yourself, well, I'm actually doing the same things that this person did eventually who to get rich, right? Which is, which is unfortunately to do unethical things, right? And so I, I think... It's so important to maintain what our goals are, our conscious goals every moment, our intentions of what we're trying to do in this world. Absolutely. And to bring it back to like the idea of provoking the wicked or kind of living quietly, you know, I think it is this balance. I really do of like, yes, we, you know, I, I still am kind of drawn to this idea of like, just live your Judaism the way you're going to live it. Don't worry about, you know, all of the noise around you. But at the same time, like that's really hard with the world we live in because we do live fully in this world. We're not in the summer enclave. Like we live fully in society. We live fully in the world. And so we are going to be surrounded by all of this non-Jewish influence around us, whether that be just kind of benign, like secular Americanism or whether that's going to be overt anti-Semitism. Um, and so it's not so simple as to say, we'll just 
don't provoke the wicked and just kind of stay quiet because that it, that does lead, as we've seen in recent days, that leads to the taking off the Jewish stars and the hiding the Hanukkahs and the taking down the mezuzahs and trying to like be so small that we don't bother, you know, like if we just make ourselves small enough, then the anti-Semites won't see us. Um, but we know that's not true, right? Like <laughs> they have like x-ray vision when it comes to <laughs> shoes. They see you. They can find us. And so like, you know, if, if living our, just living our, like, I'm just so, I'm thinking about the singer Pink. <laughs> the singer, nice. For the, for the us millennials, the singer Pink was pretty uh, formative and she is Jewish and she posted on her Instagram a picture of her Hanukkah. Like literally not a word about Israel, no hashtags, just like happy oh, first night of Hanukkah or something. Yeah. And just a picture of her Hanukkah and the comments up there being like, it was so insensitive of you to post this in this current deaf? climate. Yeah. Are you tone deaf? Like you should, you are, oh it's fine God. that you let a Hanukkah, but do that in the privacy of your own home. And she, to her credit, like responded and was like, I'm sorry, what was tone deaf being a Jew in public? That's, that, that's the, that's what you found so offensive. And so I feel like there is that of like, yeah, maybe we shouldn't like, we don't need to like go out and like try and like, I don't know, hang Hanukkahs through like in KKK territory just to see what they'll do. (laughs) Like we don't necessarily need to like go out of our way to provoke something that's not going to be safe for us, but we certainly should be able to just live our basic Judaism out loud and in public. And if that's going to provoke the people who don't like that, then like, so be it. That's going to provoke it. So for you, Mutar Lit Garot Bershaim in this case means for you, just living out one's Judaism means putting your menorah on Instagram, right? Like, and and I guess what I mean by that, like, she could have easily just lit her menorah in her house and not put it on Instagram. Like, she's specifically choosing to put it on Instagram to advertise her Judaism, right, to the world. She's making a choice to make that extremely public, which is obviously admirable and something I, I appreciate. But she is going a step out of her way not to observe Judaism Although you could say in this case it is observing Judaism because, well, it's presuming Nisa in this case of the public publication or the publicization of a miracle. But but, I, but I'm sure that's – I mean, I have no idea what was on her mind. But what I have to think was on her mind is like she scrolls her Instagram and sees all these people posting their like Christmas trees, right? Like getting ready for Christmas, getting ready for their holidays. And she's like, oh, that's so great. Like I love seeing how people are getting ready for their holidays. I'm doing my holiday too. Like I'll share my holiday too, right? Like it's just living, you know, in some ways it, that's the like competing with the, with the unjust. That's what I was going to say. Right? Like, right. It, like if that, that way, with it's the like, right. And that way it's like, well, they can do it. So I can do it. Um, or, or not even they can do it. I can do it, but they are doing it. So I need to do it too. So we have this, like that there's Jewish stuff in the, in the ether, you know? Right. Yeah. I mean, it's a really, it's like a very fine nuanced point, but it's definitely an interesting. But I'll tell you why I don't think it's that. I, I'll tell you why I don't think it's that because I think it's intention is so important, right? If pink put it out on the menorah out there to say there, everyone's putting Christmas trees, not fair. Uh, everyone, there needs to be equity. There needs to be more menorahs and we need to have, for every Christmas tree, we need to have a menorah. And that's why I'm going to put my menorah up, right? That would be considered competing, right? And that would be considered, that would fall under the verse of the Psalms. But if her intention was, this is what I'm doing right now and I want to share my life with the world just as everybody else is doing, that's what I'm doing. And people love their Christmas trees. I love my menorah, right? That's wonderful. And I love, I just want to share my love of my, then and and that that truly is what is happening inside intentionally 
maybe then it's permitted to do it. Is that different? Is that different enough? You know? Right. So before we end today, we're going to look at the last statement from Rabbi Yitzchak. Rabbi Yitzchak has, has a very different, has a different understanding. And I love that this is in the Gemara because I love, I love that the Talmud makes room for so many different voices. So we're going to end with this paragraph today and then we'll just discuss for a little bit, you know, kind of what the, the larger meaning is here. All right. The Gemara asks, is this so? Didn't Rabbi Yitzchak say, if you see a wicked person upon whom the hour is smiling, do not provoke him. As long as he is enjoying good fortune, there's no point in confronting him. So if you see a wicked person who seems to be thriving in the world, like, yeah, they're not going to like believe you that they're wicked. They're doing great. <laughs> like, they are not going to say anything. As it is stated, his ways prosper at all times. Your judgments are far beyond him. As for his adversaries, he snorts at them, right? Someone who's doing well in the world is not going to listen to you and be like, when you're like, repent, repent. So like, why should I repent? I'm doing just fine. Right. The verse teaches us that the ways of the wicked will always succeed. Right. And before we get to the next part, it's I, like, why? It's interesting, like the, the meta value behind here of like, why don't you provoke them at this point? Because it's not going to succeed right like it's not bingo yeah it's not gonna see and i love that for me because so many times you want to provoke people and like provoke the other side and we know that that it's not going to succeed we know whether it's because they've been successful in the past and they're blind to our provoking or they're just blind to our provoking and they're blind to it actually helping or doing anything good in the world you just think of like a social media fight, right? Like right. the idea of like, I need to share my opinion. It's like, why? You're not going to change anyone else's opinion right now. Like, Right. And Judaism is always, 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 always on the side of there is no point of sharing your opinion or sharing a rebuke of anyone if there is no chance that it's going to make an impact on that person in changing their their transgressive ways, which is really important and is very different than our society today, which means, which Constantly says, like, they misquote this Ellie Wiesel quote that says, God forbid you don't have an opinion and you're, you're neutral, you're doing evil, basically. And it's, I, I can't stand that, right? You can have an opinion. It could just be, you don't have to share it necessarily unless you really believe that it's going to be productive to actually causing good in the world. So important. So important. Let's, 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 let's see this last statement, though. And not only that but he emerges victorious in judgment. As it is stated, your judgments are far beyond him, meaning that even when he is brought to justice, it does not affect him. And not only that, but he witnesses his enemy's downfall. As it is stated, as for all his adversaries, he snorts at them. Right. Okay, so there's more of this, this sugia, but look, we're going to end here and end at this moment. What, what, what does this conversation sort of leave you with? Where, where do we stand with this question? Part of me is thinking like, did we totally misread this text? Because it just feels like we're reading so much of our current moment into this text. It seems right. <laughs> like it seems right. to be what the text is saying. But I would be curious if like a year ago, if I would have read this text totally differently. But that's, I mean, that's the nature of studying Torah as you make it relevant to the time you're living in. But I mean, I am, I'm really drawn to this idea of like, what does it mean to be permitted to provoke the wicked in the world? Like, what does it mean that you're not obligated? You're not obligated to provoke the wicked in the world, but you are permitted to do so. And does that mean like just living your Judaism or does it mean more than that? Does it mean like actually trying to go and counter protest a KKK rally or something? You know, like, <laughs> I don't know. Like, what does it mean to like to provoke the wicked? 
I'm not in general a very provocative person. (laughs) (laughs) And so I'm just like kind of sitting with that of what does that mean? Like, certainly I, I think I live my Judaism loudly. And there was a moment, you know, there's a moment our daughter asked to, if she could have a Jewish star necklace. And I was so proud of her and so excited. And of course, you know, we got her one. But it did strike me for a minute of like, what does it mean to send your four-year-old out into the world with a sign of being Jewish in today's world? And like, how much are we willing to provoke the wicked? And how much are we willing to sacrifice for that? Are we willing to put our own bodies on the line? Are we willing to put our children's bodies on the line? Like, how much are we willing to do that? And then, but also what will we lose if we don't, you know, like, I certainly don't want to raise her to be ashamed of her Judaism. I want her to be so proud of it. And so, yeah, that's, that's kind of where I'm sitting. Yeah. And I think that's beautiful. Cause I, I think that's exactly where this conversation, this is Sugiya and this conversation is like kind of left me as well as like, it's, it's that, that, that it's difficult and that, that, that it is, it is really hard. And I think we have this dangerous thing and I've, I've preached this message before. Like, God forbid you take your missus off your door. God forbid you take your, your, your menorah off or whatever. And I think I was sort of wrong to say that. Like people should care about their safety and, and we're not a religion that says like, just throw your life away if it's really going to put you in danger. But that, that being said, like, I love that this text also gives, gives us the permission to be Jewish and, and the permission to go that extra step and, and put ourselves out there. While at the same time, like stopping us from doing it in unproductive ways, in ways that like chew up our attention and time and soul and, and really eat us up from the inside out, right? Like, like Twitter arguments and stuff like that. Like, don't do that, right? And I think that's why so much of this is in here. But while giving us permission to live out our Jewish lives, um, well, 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 again, I mean, and keep keeping uh, making room for everybody here, which is just so important. I just love how this text is so sensitive to this issue that unfortunately seems very old and much older than I think we could have ever realized. Yeah, which I think we we draw so much strength from. You know, we say this again and again that so many people in our community seem to be so shaken by the anti-Semitism in the world, which I completely understand. And what gives Mar- Rabbi Marcus and I so much strength is our like the fact that we live so much of our lives in ancient Jewish texts where they were living in much more anti-Semitic times than us and they were living through it and they somehow came out with all this wisdom and all this strength and all this faith in God and we can too. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, how'd you enjoy this? Was a good surprise text? Yeah, I like it. It's a fun surprise. A little fun little surprise text. I love it. Hanukkah surprise. Uh, This is your Hanukkah present. This is how rabbis surprise each other. A little surprise Torah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it was wonderful getting to study Torah for you a little bit. I hope everyone enjoyed this today. Really, really do. And hopefully we'll do more of these episodes where we can learn Torah with you together. And you can hopefully get to see some of our process of how we discuss Torah texts and analyze them and look at them. Always remember, I just always want to thank our producer, Jesse Ulrich from Rat 9 Productions. It's incredible. Our incredible theme music from Colleen Deeker and Jeffrey Baldinger. Always remember to rate, comment, subscribe, all the things. Um, <laughs> tell your friends about our podcast, The Rabbis and They're Married. We always are looking to bring you good content uh, every couple of weeks or so. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Marcus and Rachel